Welcome to Fan Tide, the podcast for all those complex and complicated conversations about the gray areas in our lives. I am journalist Travel Anderson. And I am journalist, host, and producer Jared Hill. Coming up on the show today, we've got uh, one that I'm excited about. We've got some conversation around boycotts and cancel culture and the, the ways that we feel about those things. But first, it's time for us to pass the popcorn. We've got to get into something that I was really big upping here last week and probably the week before that. Um, as you may know, I've made no secret about In the Heights being a movie and story that I've been really excited about and waiting for and in love with uh, for over a decade. And this weekend, the story set in Washington Heights, Manhattan, debuted to a lot of rave reviews from people who pre-screened it. And it came out mm. to the masses and there was there was some feedback <laughs> that they got. The film received um, by many, but specifically me, um, reviews that it was a fantastic piece of work, that it had a lot of beautiful imagery, exciting musical numbers, and a compelling story. But if you just pay a little bit more attention, you do start to notice the issue of white supremacy's ugly baby, colorism. All of the film stars are light-skinned Latinos, with the exception, white supremacy's ugly child, colorism. I mean, do you not get it? I mean, mean, it works. It It works. uh, Okay. I, I feel like you're trying I'm me? I'm not going to yell go right yo, yo, yo today. Go for it. Thank you so much. <laughs> All of the film stars are light-skinned Latinos, with the exception of a black character. Voices on Twitter pretty quickly started pointing out that the num- the primary place you could see darker-skinned people was in the large-scale dance numbers. And then the film's creatives and stars started getting questioned about it. And then they started answering those questions. And in a moment that highlights the need for diversity-centered media training, that's a shameless plug for me and the work that I do with studios and corporations around this very issue. The answers left a lot to be desired. Actress Melissa Barrera answered the colorism question in this way. I think it's important to to note though that in the audition process, which was a long audition process, there were a lot of Afro-Latinos there a lot of darker skinned people. And I think they were looking for just the right people for the roles, for the person that embodied each character in in the fullest extent. Um, As people started to hear that answer, more and more people had more and more feedback for the film and the conversation around it. Travel, when you hear that answer coming from Melissa Barrera and really in the context of the conversation about colorism and in the heights, how does that answer hit for you? Well, before I answer that, I will say I really enjoyed the movie. I thought it was great. I thought, you know, I cried. Paciencia of Ife. Okay. That ain't it. That, y'all know what I mean. Paciencia. Pacencia. Mm-mm. How about we just... We gonna, I tried to say the name, and I'm just... I said it once, and I'm going to stop because I know I fucked it up, and, you know, I know somebody out there is listening, ready to pounce on us, okay? But what I will Shout say... Shout out to our friends at Babel. <laughs> but I will say is that I, I screened the film about a year ago, um, pre-pandemic. It was, like, one of the last films. Um, it, along with Antebellum, were, like, the last two films that I saw before the pandemic. Um, and, you know, the response that it's getting, particularly from Afro-Latino folks, um, you know, is the exact response that I had when I first saw it, even though I I still love it. It definitely, you know, falls short in terms of that more kind of expansive uh, uh, 
presentation and concept of of Latinx identity, particularly even more so Latinx identity in Washington Heights. So, not no surprise here. But to my question, um, how did Fuck her answer affect? How oh, did you, her answer how, is her trash. Question, her answer about her answer is trash. It's it's complete trash. You know, all of their answers. We we should say we pulled that clip. Um, from, um, oh my God, I, I forgot the her root. name. Uh, I believe Felicia is, is her name at the root. Um, uh, all of their answers in that video, every single one of them are trash and they deserve all of the flack that they're getting for it. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that this is one of those conversations that is really about the ways that people get media trained or don't. And I think that so often when you're having to go out and have conversations like these, um, right now I work with like television studios and some corporate clients on, on like the ways that we engage this. Um, Felice Leon is the, uh, the journalist over at the route that, that asked these questions, by the way, shout out to Jordan for pulling that up. Um, I wanted to just indicate for people like when you're thinking about diversity and inclusion and the ways that you are having conversations about diversity like uh, (laughs) i'll give an example there's a company that you and i know of um that was recently looking to hire someone that is of a diverse background right and they went to a hiring agency so that they could make sure that the person is not going to be a white person more than likely and that those people from that company reached out to me looking to for different things. And I went and looked at the company's website and all of the people that work there are white people over the age of 40. All of the directors, all of the like partners, all of the trainers. And it was one of those things that made me think about how all of these companies and brands and networks and whatever are talking about diversity and inclusion and the importance of it, but like, don't take the one extra step of like, well, are the people that we're hiring to do diverse and inclusive work for us, like actually representative of that diversity and inclusion? Because oftentimes if they're not, these kinds of situations happen where yes, you learn how to talk about the movie, you learn how to talk about the music, but you don't think about, there's not even someone who has a lens to say like, this is a potential landmine that's going to be in front of you because people are going to feel a way about X. I mean, I do want to note that, you know, something my partner and I, we were talking about, Texas Isaiah and I were talking about it and something that he mentioned, you know, as a, as a non-media person, right, was that the fact that you have to be media trained to uh, not show your, your anti-blackness um, is a sign within itself, right? Um, I mean... And, and there, all of their answer... It, it also, this isn't the first time that we're having conversations about colorism in popular culture. And the first time we're having conversations... It's not the first time we're having conversations about colorism, particularly in a Latinx context. So it's, it's just odd to me... And I shouldn't say odd, because, you know, I'm not really surprised. You know, a lot of motherfuckers feel the way, which is like, I'm the best one for the job because, you know, I got the job. What I will say last thing is that I feel like it is a super complex conversation and we'll likely do an episode or two about colorism in the next month or so. Um, I do think it is a complex conversation that may not necessarily be able to be hit on in the best way in one of those quick sound bitey 
type, you know, ways that folks are expected to do with these press junket type interviews. Um, but that does that's no excuse for their horrible answers. I will also say it was pointed out to me that this isn't even the first time we've had this conversation around Lin-Manuel Miranda, right? Like, this has been a, a criticism of Lin's work before. I'm a big fan of Lin, but I also recognize, like, Lin is not perfect. Um, and so... I think it's something that we have to think about. Um, and we're, as you said, we're, we are planning to do some episodes coming up in the future about colorism. Um, and we will discuss that a little bit more in the future. I do want to say that Lin-Manuel Miranda put out a tweet apology uh, that uh, I, what I call a tweet apology. Um, it was a lengthy one. I will just read a little bit of it. It says, I'm learning from the feedback. I thank you for raising it and I'm listening. I'm trying to hold space for both the incredible pride in the movie we made and be accountable for our shortcomings. Thank you for your honest feedback. You can see his tweet apology. It's uh, on his Twitter page. That's what tweet apologies do. Um, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to get into our mixed feelings about boycotting and cancel culture and all of those things. Don't go anywhere, Fantas. Coming right back. Fantai this week is brought to you by the wonderful folks over at Raycon. I've told y'all plenty of ways about how I do my Raycons, how I use my Raycons, all right? Whether I'm working out, whether I'm just going for a walk in the neighborhood and I need to just tune out literally everybody, I'm able to pop in my Raycons, okay, and they get the job done. So whether you're listening to Fantai podcast available wherever you get to lay where the audio, or you listening to that new Meg the Stallion track, okay? Okay, a pair of Raycon wireless earbuds in your ears can make all the difference. You get crisp, powerful beats at half the price of other premium audio brands, and Raycons are built to go wherever you go. With quick and seamless Bluetooth pairing and a compact charging case that literally lasts for, it, it feel like 24 hours, it could be 42, they say 24, but I promise you, if you charge them, you're gonna be, you're gonna be amazed honey okay all right i told y'all i've used them for working out i use them for taking a walk all of that good stuff you can do the same all right raycon is offering 15 percent off all their products for our listeners and here's what you gotta do to get it all right go to buyraycon.com slash fanti there you'll get 15 percent off your entire raycon order and it's such a good deal you'll want to grab a pair and a spare all right that's 15 percent off off at buyraycon.com slash fanti buyraycon.com slash fanti you can skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. Now, I have to tell you, I've been using HelloFresh. My parents actually had gotten us, like, all, all of the kids, like, a free box because they liked HelloFresh. And, like, I just kind of kept the subscription because I really like the meal kits. What I love about meal kits, to be very honest with you, is I am a really good cook, but I also get kind of in the same rut of making some of the same things again and again and again. And, you you know, I'll make 10, 15 things and kind of cycle through them. I really like my mom's spaghetti, so I'll just make that again. What I love about HelloFresh and this meal kit is that I'm always able to choose different things that I wouldn't ordinarily be making. Now, to be honest with you, some of the things that I get are some of my favorites. Right now, I just have I have uh, two things that I'm really excited about this week. Barbecue cheddar burgers with chipotle aioli and potato wedges and Santa Fe pork tacos with Monterey Jack and cilantro lime slaw. Now, let me tell you, what I really love about meal kits is you can make them at home and season them as much as you want. You can 
scale things back, up them, move things around in the ways that you love, and really, really be able to enjoy a fantastic meal. HelloFresh cuts out stressful meal planning and grocery store trips so you can enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in just about 30 minutes. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need to easily customize your order on an app within minutes and easily change your delivery day, food preferences, plan size, or skip a week whenever you need to. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Fanti12 and use code Fanti12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. That's HelloFresh.com slash Fanti12 and use the code Fanti12 for 12 free meals. All righty, beautiful people, welcome back. So at the top of last week's show, we had a little conversation that referenced the ongoing calls by people to boycott and not patronize Chicken Fillet, all right? Because its owner and formerly its charitable foundation arms support anti-leg uh, booty causes. So leg booty, I know I have to explain it. Leg booty is a... Uh, okay, I'm like, between chicken <laughs> fillet and leg booty in the same sentence, it's just a lot happening. It's a lot. Leg booty is a way that I have seen somebody on, um, on TikTok describe LGBT community. L from leg, mm. the G from leg, the B in booty and the T in booty. Leg booty. Well, you know, for some people, they need to spell it out. Anyway, so... I think the plus is also necessary just because it makes it even funnier. Leg booty plus? The leg booty plus community. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it works for me. It Uh, sounds like a streaming service. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh, So Chick-fil-A and its (laughs) owner, the Cathy's, have been supporting anti-LGBTQ causes for what feels like decades at this point. Um, most recently, it was revealed that uh, Dan Cathy is um, one of the, what do you call them, like financial supporters behind the move to not pass the Equality Act. Um, and now it feels like to me, every time we discover that a company or its leader is supporting a cause we don't agree with, folks want to boycott, right? That's one of the first things that I feel like we often hear. And this goes across political lines. The conservatives were up in arms trying to boycott Beyonce. The liberals were boycotting, allegedly, the NFL with the whole Colin Kaepernick situation. Um, but, you know, for me, I happen to love my chicken with a side of hate. You know, it gives it a little, little oomph, you know, a little, little, little stank on, a little panache, a little je ne sais quoi, okay, if you will. It's interesting, because the bigotry that comes from Chick-fil-A actually adds flavor, but a lot of the bigotry <laughs> that you might see show up in your potato salad don't do that. Precisely. Right? Very that. Very that. You understand the complex and complicado of it all. There we go. I understood the assignment. (laughs) But for this conversation, we're going to get into it a little bit more. Um, Something came up while we were producing this episode between you and I. We were talking about, like, boycotting versus protesting. So, you know, I thought it would be great for us to... uh, uh, I'm a sociologist at heart is what I tell people every now and again. And in the sociology field, they tell you, in, in a lot of the social sciences and sciences, they tell you to operationalize your variables, right? Which means, like, define the terms that we all are are working with so for you boycotting versus protesting what are the similarities what are the differences go to me i think that boycott and protest are are very similar i think that boycott is a form of protest um 
And generally speaking, I think that's really what a lot of the conversation around cancel culture is rooted in, right, is boycott and or protest. Um, if we are talking about Kevin Hart, as you know, Kevin Hart's mm. name has recently come up into the, the news again. Um, if you are deciding to not follow or to not buy tickets to X tour or not watch whatever show, that in one way or another is a boycott because you are protesting, you know, Kevin Hart's content or his beliefs or, you know, what have you. Um, and so I think they go hand in hand. I do think that boycotts are are a lot more specific, right, is a very specific form of protest. Um, but I think they are things that go hand in hand. I think for me, I would I would nail down on that a little bit more. And, and for me, boycott. The things that that when we when we I so I should say this I feel and I should say for the people we're not doing it necessarily you know straight fan versus anti we're just talking about it and you'll get the complex and complicado as we go through it um, I should also say I'm in New York City so if you hear ambulance or a, a honking horn or whatever the case may be you know charge it to the game child um, but I'll also to that point. <laughs> I live in Los Angeles and it's hot. If I have to open up this window and you hear the goddamn ice cream truck, I'm sorry, Jordan. I love you. I closed the window for a minute, but it's hot. He don't got no air conditioner in that room, y'all. So, you know, it'd be like well, that. Well, not in the office, but we might have to get one because goddamn. Anyway, Whew. for me, I feel like we use the term boycott like very flippantly, right? Every, every time Agreed. it's like, we need to boycott such and such. We need to boycott such and such. But for me, boycotting when, when employed properly, the term when employed properly, is talking about a targeted, intentional, you know, uh, 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 way by which we are looking to to prove and show to an entity, to a person, um, the type of change, or I say the type of financial capital and power that a particular community has that will will drain something away from whoever or whatever is like the entity in question, right? Um, and like I always think about the Montgomery bus boycott, right? Which you know for those who who aren't quite familiar, you know, it was a a targeted, intentional program. I hate calling it a program, but uh, a way of, of protest, right, where they said that, and they Direct knew action. that the bulk of the bus riding population in Montgomery, Alabama at that time was black folks, okay? And they knew that if black folks stopped riding the bus, that was going to be a very specific and, and visible and obvious way to show to the city that black people had some sort of economic power and that their absence from the system would need to cause and bring about change, right? And now the bus boycott ended up going on for well over a year. I think it's like 300, I wrote it down in my notes somewhere, 381, 82 days that the bus boycott went on um and one of the things that that supported the bus boycott was they created these other forms of of movement and transportation in the community so that people could could seriously right not get on the bus right so like black right. taxi cab drivers would charge black folks in particular 10 cents for rides, which was the exact same rate that they would have paid getting on the bus. And then you had people kind of create their own systems of transporting back and forth. There's a, a movie 
uh, called, what is it, A Long Walk Home, starring um, Whoopi Goldberg, I believe, as a maid. I believe it's that's the Montgomery Bus Boycott. Anyway, check it out. But I use that as an example, as a way to push back on a lot of the conversations I hear, particularly about boycotting Chick-fil-A, because it doesn't seem, you not going to eat at Chick-fil-A is not a boycott. That's you making a decision where to put your money, but it's not a boycott, right? I mean, I, I feel like just, I just look at boycott as, as grander than, than the individual, I guess. I, I hear you and I don't disagree. I would say that like, <laughs> if we look at the formal definition of boycott as a verb, right? To boycott is to- Who you with, got, Merriam-Webster? Um, our friends at the Goog. Um, verb is withdraw from commercial or social relations with a country organization or person as a punishment or protest. Also, as a noun, a boycott is a punitive ban that forbids relations with certain groups, cooperation with the policy or the handling of goods. I do think that the ways that we think about like, I'm not going to watch X or I'm not going to go to Chick-fil-A, like it's like a micro boycott, if you will, right? But like, I think that the real challenge for me has been that lately, I don't feel like we have the same organizational uh, structure or effectiveness, to be quite honest, to have a boycott like the Montgomery boycott, right? Like if LGBTQ folks like all banded together and said, we're not going to Chick-fil-A anymore, would it have an impact? I don't know, right? If we all decided like, oh, we're not going to watch Kevin Hart because he's homophobic or, you know, whatever the 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 framing is and, you know, we're not going to watch his Netflix series, would that have an impact? I don't know. But like, because I, I think also there's a lot of, we're not just like in the silos of being black versus white and trying to get voting rights, right? We are black and queer mm -hmm. and non-binary and like that group gets smaller and smaller and smaller as we have more and more, you know, streets in our intersection. And so I think that boycotting isn't as effective as it used to be because it's not so many people participating. Well, well, I I was I was about to disagree with you, but I think it's it, Usually. it is because our conceptions of boycotting seem super individual, mm. right? It's it's you, Jared Hill. You're not going to go to the Chick-fil-A that is now down the street from your house. That is a, a, a blip in the bucket. I just want to be clear. Of, I did not say that. Just. Well, it's just an example. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's a, a blip, right? In, in the grand scheme of things. Chick-fil-A is not going to feel that. Sure. But if all of the leg booty community in Atlanta, for example, where Chick-fil-A, if I'm not mistaken, is still headquartered. If the leg booty community in Atlanta and our allies decided that for a week they were not going to 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 patronize uh, the Dwarf House, right, which is one of the the historic, you know, I think what maybe the first official location, um, if I'm not mistaken, of Chick-fil-A, if, if that type of decision and it was targeted to a particular franchise, like a particular building, all of the ones in Midtown, we, able, we ain't fucking with them. Right. You know, like we might be able to demonstrate and to prove on the other end, right? Because ultimately about, the, about boycotts, the people that you are boycotting have to feel the absence of your coins and your presence. But if it's super individualized and super dispersed, then like that, there's no possible way that can be effective. Well, the, the person that you're targeting has to feel it for it to be effective, 
right? Like, it's still a boycott whether or not it's effective. But, like, I think... Is the, it? I mean, yeah, it might not be an effective boycott, but, like, it's still a boycott, right? And I think that's actually... Sure. I, but, but see, because also, you know, I, we're talking about this and saying, like, this is a little bit harder for us to structure, you know, fan and anti, because I really... I the the thing that I love about boycotts and again we haven't really had these here in in modern times that I don't that I can think of I love the solidarity for a worthy cause right like I love people joining together and saying this is some bullshit we're not going to take x y or z I love that um the one of the things that I've recently like micro boycotted because I actually did kind of enjoy the NFL but I wasn't like a, an avid sports fan right but like after Colin mm-hmm. Kaepernick, it was like fuck it, like I'm not doing this with y'all anymore. And then just recently, I don't know if you saw this. There's a headline. Uh, if I look at the NBC News headline, it's NFL to halt race norming, which assumed black players had lower cognitive function. The short version is, Child. when when <laughs> NFL players have have like brain injuries, you know, in their post years, um, there's a scale in which they measure how much brain damage you've had or how much cognitive function your how much your cognitive function has declined but like white players would start off higher on that that cognitive function um ranking whereas black folks would start off lower and so that even if they had the same amount of decline the from a measurable standpoint it would show that black folks had less and would get less money throughout their pension for the mm-hmm. rest of their payouts and those kinds of things, mm-hmm. right? That is something that the NFL was doing up until June of this year, right? The anti-blackness in that, the white supremacy in that, because we have to call both of them, like the the horrendous nature of a, of a, of a policy like that existing until June of this year, that's worthy of boycott for me. Like, Fuck the NFL, which is 70% black players, right? And 90 plus percent white governors or owners, as they're they're still called. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, right? Like, and I think we're saying the same thing, ultimately. It's that whatever whatever our discontent is, it it needs to be targeted. It needs to be intentional, right? I bring it back up the Montgomery bus boycott. If I'm not mistaken, they put that shit together quickly, mm-hmm. right? And they use the pulpit, they use the church to disseminate that t- starting tomorrow on December 5th, we ain't taking the motherfucking buses. Wake up early, take your ass and walk to school, <laughs> walk to church or work or wherever you go at, right? And like, and may- maybe this is a commentary also on the ways in which we don't necessarily have those community galvanizing centers in, in in the way that we had, you know, with the black church back in the day, even if you weren't really into Jesus like that, somebody in your community was and was able to relay that information. We don't really have those spaces anymore. But, you know, I do want to nail down before we get out of here on the Chick-fil-A of it all. Oh, because um, uh, I believe it was uh, our favorite. I feel like we have mentioned her the most on this podcast. Okay. At the very least, uh, in our own Monique. personal conversation. Oh, I thought you were talking about Chick Fil A. Yeah, Monique is gonna have to go ahead and come no, on. No, no, not not that in Monique. Okay, I'm talking about Monique Legal Sojourner, Monique, because she tweeted Hard me to. last week. <laughs> she tweeted me last week, and she was like, you know, you was in a letter, you ain't tell me it, or, or or something like that. And then she was, I, you know, we had talked a little bit about the Chick Fil A of it all, and you know, I. 
sometimes feel obliged to tell people that like I used to work at Chick-fil-A okay that is where my uh, uh, affinity if you will for you know uh, uh, a chicken biscuit in the morning mm, oh my god those biscuits stop it Travel. Uh, uh, we are against those saying, motherfuckers oh my god. <laughs> I'm telling like, you that macaroni and cheese hits it's really good I, <laughs> it is my, but I used to work there, but the, my point in saying that is that, you know, my franchise was full of queer people, mm. okay? It, our franchise, it was owned by, um, it was owned by a white man, but the managers, all of the managers were black people, a black man and a black woman to be specific. The entire, I'd say the bulk of the work base of the folks who, who were working there were queer identified or, or openly expressed allies. And so it was super inclusive and it was super supportive. And again, that's very specific to my experience. I'm sure there are probably some queer people working there now who, who are having their various issues. But like, you know, that is why I, I love it. And that's why it holds a, 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 a quote unquote soft spot for me. Um, but it's it's like why all why why do the marginalized people always gotta go without the stuff that we enjoy? So now that is really where I come from as I sit here ordering Chick Fil A on DoorDash because we've been talking about it for so I damn know you long. Lying. Uh, I'm like, listen, I want the nuggets and the mac and cheese, and I got a meeting later. Um, Jarrett, no, I'm not ordering that. I don't even eat from that place every day. Um, <laughs> For me, it's uh, <laughs> Jordan is messaging us hashtag We will never be free. Um, I I guess for me, the way that I look at this, if you are a white straight person, you should be boycotting. But for me, as an oppressed person, I'm tired of be of not being able to have shit. I've been through a lot, goddamn it, and I've been through enough oppression that I should be able to eat what the fuck I want to, so long as I don't have <laughs> rice, pasta, or potatoes cheese or you know anything unsustainable oh no so are God, you back on gluten child i'm on everything right now who the fuck are we kidding but like i'm supposed to be going off some <laughs> shit next week we'll see if the lord says the same but i feel like i'm, I'm if i want something <laughs> goddammit, like every company out here there's a white man who is donating to donald trump's cause that is at the head of something in that company more than likely and so mm. goddammit, if i'm at the grocery store at Amazon or at Ralph's or Vons or whatever the fuck you have wherever you are, there's some Trump supporting white man, some bigoted you know asshole that is running something, and we are contributing to that pro to that um, that process. I do want to be clear that in the event that a legitimate coalition comes together and there is a structured plan of attack for a boycott of a Chick-fil-A and it is targeted and it is intentional and I you know I used those words twice already but then I can get along with it right like I can do that but I I I'm about effectiveness I'm with it you know I'm with it I'm, I'm ultimately 100% about effectiveness and it is not this is not the, these these kind of individual approaches um it's just not effective to me and guess what i happen to know of a lot of queer trans folks who happen to love some waffle fries um that's and, what i forgot you know and, and back in the day there used to be um i don't know if it was intentional or not but i, I feel like there used to be like a, a, a kiss a gay day at chick-fil-a like people would organize oh now that sounds you like know, the devil these like <laughs> people would organize these like basically not like a sit-in ish but like they would say this is kiss a day 
at Chick-fil-A as a means of like, you know, pushing back against, you know, the anti-LGBTQ of it all at Chick-fil-A. I feel like this was a big thing, or maybe maybe it wasn't big, but a thing on social media a number of years ago. You know what's funny to me about it as you're saying this? Every black person that I've known that's worked at Chick-fil-A was a homosexual. Mind you, there's only a few, <laughs> but they were all homosexuals. <laughs> and that's interesting to me. Um, not sure what to do with that. Me either. Well, I, and before we go, I wanted to hit on what you've mentioned in terms of like folks who have been talking about boycotting Kevin Hart, for example, for the longest and all of his comments about, you know, cancel culture or whatever the case may be. I also feel like so much about whatever whatever steps that we choose to take to, de- to demonstrate our protest, whether it's of an individual, whether it's of a corporation, it, it also... I, I feel like it just has to be demonstrable because there were so many people talking about boycotting Kevin Hart. And guess what? Kevin Hart is still one of the highest paid comedians, if not the highest paid comedian, right? He's literally in an interview right now at on the Sunday Times talking about how all of his movies, you know, are, you know, they out earn themselves. How I think he said three of his com- comedy specials are in the top 10 of the the highest grossing comedy specials and two of them are in the top three of all time what does that say of all he that, that's what i believe he said of all time in the article yes wow um so what does that say about us what does that say about these efforts? It goes again to show how all of this is just so dispersed. And I'm no activist, I'm no organizer in all of that. But as somebody outside looking in, it it whatever these moves that we come up with as a community, I just feel as if there just needs to be more intention um, behind it. I'm down to get with it and I will deprive myself of, you know, some freshly salted waffle fries and a four count strip meal with three barbecue sauces. I can do that. Uh. Okay. But I, I, I won't, I, it needs to be a collective. I, I, in my in my opinion, I'm not sure that I need to give up a macaroni and cheese, a 12 piece nugget, and a waffle fry with two Polynesian sauces, <laughs> just because I I guess for me, I'm looking at it through the lens of I don't know that Kevin Hart's success or like continued success is indicative of something that is different than like back in the day. And what I mean by that is like, I think it's the the reverse, if you will, of the ways that we don't see albums selling the same way because everyone is streaming them. And I think because, you know, like people mm. aren't going out and buying CDs, people like it's a different kind of technology. And I think similarly, like Kevin Hart is on Netflix, which is global and people can see it all over the world. Right. And like, yes, Chris Rock, for instance, on his last world tour was on HBO, but that was after the fact. But like he went on a bit of a world tour went and saw some other countries and things like that. But I think it's just like a different thing. Um, and I hope that makes sense. But really what I'm what I'm getting at is like. I think there are plenty of people who have been like, I'm not fucking with Kevin Hart anymore. I'm not following him. I'm not watching the shit. Or, you know, I'm going to take a break from him. Um, but I think those things are, are a little bit different. But I do understand where you're coming from. 
As we go to break, want to know what you think about this. Are we thinking about this in a similar way as you are? Or are we missing some things here? Because y'all love to let us know that we missed something or did something completely wrong. You can hit us up uh, on social media at Fanti Podcast on Twitter and on Instagram. Use the hashtag FantiFam. Coming up, why y'all love us and hate us and what you think we did wrong. Don't go nowhere. I'm going first. It's me, Jackie Keisha. Man, she's always this bossy. Uh, <laughs> I'm Lori Kilbarton. Uh, we're a bunch of stand-up comics, and uh, we've been doing comedy like 60 years total with <laughs> both of us, but we look amazing. And, uh, working out. We drop every Monday on Max Fun, and it's called The Jackie and Lori Show, and you could listen to it and learn about comedy and learn about anger management and all the things. And Jackie is married but childless, and I'm unmarried but childful. So together, we make <laughs> one complete woman. Is that just what that going to end? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we try to make Kyle laugh just like that and say, oh, my God, every episode. It's a good job. Jackie and Lori Show, Mondays, only on Maximum Fun. We are the host of My Brother, My Brother, and Me, and now, nearly 10 years into our podcast, the secret can be revealed. All the clues are in place, and the world's greatest treasure hunt can now begin. Embedded in each episode of My Brother, My Brother, and Me is a micro-clue that will lead you to 14 precious gemstones all around this big, beautiful blue world of ours. So start coming through the episodes. Uh, let's say starting at episode 101 on. Yeah, the early episodes are pretty problematic, so there's no clues in those episodes no no not at all the better ones the good ones clues ahoy listen to every episode repeatedly in sequence laugh if you must but mainly get all the great clues my brother my brother me it's an advice show kind of but a treasure hunt mainly anywhere you find podcasts or treasure maps my brother my brother me the hunt is on Welcome back. We're going to get into our listener feedback. First up, we've got an email here from author, author, Arthur. I mean, you know, enunciate the letters in your name. Um, in response to our OnlyFans episode, it's a very quick email. Um, and Arthur says, did y'all really just put out an episode about OnlyFans without talking to any sex workers? Dishonorable mention for yourselves and make another one. So I pulled Wait, this email. Wait, do you want to take that or do you want me to? I'm taking it. I've already got it, honey. <laughs> okay. It's already in my hand. I pulled this email specifically because, you know, disclosure, I'm about to cuss you out, Arthur. I don't know what is wrong with y'all. Did y'all listen to the episode? Did y'all listen to that little little disclosure, disclaimer thing that I recorded before the Pause conversation here, actually went down? Jordan, can you insert just the, a bit of the disclaimer that we put in last <laughs> week's episode? Put it right here. And so we had to jump into this conversation fairly quickly. We weren't able to pre-produce it in the way that we love to pre-produce our episodes, but the conversation was just so good and enjoyable. We wanted y'all to hear it and we wanted to share it with you. So you gonna get it, all right? But give us a look, you know, don't do the most, y'all, when y'all email us, all right? Because, you know, we were working through some things. <laughs> now, we told y'all right there that this episode was an episode that was an accident and almost didn't happen, but we wanted to share. You heard. But go ahead on, Travel. There are Listen, there are a number of reasons as to why we made the decision to still put out that episode, despite 
the behind the scenes inner workings that led us to have to jump into action. Um, but, you know, and, and, and I should also say, Arthur, you are not the only person who messaged us about not having a sex worker a part of the conversation. And I want to be clear, you ain't wrong, okay? You are wrong, however, because <laughs> I done told y'all what was the circumstances that led us there, okay? So let's, I'm just, <laughs> 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 that's all I got. That's all I got. Um, that's all I got. That's all I got. That's all I got. I also, actually, no, I got Go. one more thing, Go. which is, this is to somebody else's email. I can't remember who you is, but you're going to know who you is. So this is, I'm talking to you. You know who I'm talking about. Okay. I feel like our conversation that we had on that episode, it was from the perspective of being consumers of OnlyFans content and not necessarily being, you know, producers of OnlyFans content. And I feel like there should be a space made for those conversations, right? Like, I, 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 we, we are not ever going to be able to have a full conversation in these, you know, hour or so episodes that we try to do. Now, I know last week's episode was an hour and a half, but that wasn't on, that wasn't, you know, uh, uh, you know, that just happened. Okay. That just happened. We well, don't listen, do that normally. Okay. The um, the but like, you know, we were having we a did. conversation, um, from a consumer standpoint of folks who consume OnlyFans content. And I feel like we should be able to, to have that conversation. And at the same time, I do think that having a conversation with the sex worker about their experiences on the platform are are necessary and sufficient, you know, uh, as well. And, and you know, if we decide to do another episode, maybe we will do it from that vantage point and we will have that person on. But, like, y'all gotta, y'all gotta give the girls a little bit more grace. And by the girls, I mean me. Not I us, mean but you. <laughs> Rat bastard. Uh, speaking but also of shout the girls. out to Gaster... <laughs> Yeah, so I just want to shout out Gaster and Shalewa who joined us from the War Report uh, podcast on that episode. They were fabulous. But yeah, speaking of the girls, we have an email from Bernie about the girls. Um, and so we're running out of time. We're trying to keep this episode short for y'all because we know yo, you put in a little extra work last week, okay? So, Bernie, I'm chopping up your email, but it's all love, honey. Make okay, sure you get Bernie to the good says, shit because when I read the first, the beginning of this email, it pissed me off, so I didn't read the rest of it. I told, I figured it would be on the show, <laughs> so I just said I'm going to let it breathe. Okay, so basically Bernie is asking a question about the term that we use often on this show, quote, the girls, end quote. And how we often say that that term is a gender neutral term and it can mean a variety of people. Bernie asserts that it actually is a very gendered term because we are grouping people based on their gender, though it may not be a binary man versus woman conception of gender. Can I okay? Can I respond to that now? Sure. Or did you have more to read? I mean, there's a whole email. I haven't even started the email yet. But <laughs> oh, go ahead, because I'm like, like, I'm ready. But go well, ahead. Well, that's the beginning of their email, and then they 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 detail kind of where they stand at in life. And so they say, I'm a binary trans man, and I feel I, I have complicated experience in this regard. I am simultaneously marginalized for being trans and privileged for being a man. I am also very passionate about pushing back against misogyny, homophobia, toxic masculinity, etc., which often results in the legitimacy of my gender being called into question. So I simultaneously feel seen by the girls, but also reject that I am one of the girls. 
girls because I am a man and I see myself as pretty masculine in presentation, personality, etc. However, I do know several trans men who would readily embrace being one of, quote, the girls, even if they would reject the idea that they are one of the lowercase girls, if that makes sense. I've been thinking about all of this for a few weeks now, especially since Amber J. Phillips, shout out to Miss Amber Abundance, questioned whether black women can even be cis because of the colonial nature of the gender binary. Check out that episode. Amber came with it, honey. Okay. Bernie continues saying, I'm thinking about it in terms of gender being far more expansive than just man and woman, and that this nebulous, probably constantly shifting group of, quote, the girls, is actually a gendered group beyond that gen- that traditional binary. It's not gendered in the sense that it refers to women and girls, but, it rather, but rather because it refers collectively to this other group of people. Perhaps in our quest for liberation from the oppression of the gender binary, it would be helpful to, helpful to start defining things like this as gendered in ways beyond the binary rather than just gender neutral because to me that doesn't really capture it. It's not gender neutral when it's excluding certain gendered people, right? On the other hand, I could see an argument for pursuing more gender neutrality in our lives and societies. However, I'm not currently convinced by that. I love my gender and I think most other people do. I don't see myself as gender neutral and I don't think that's the way to liberation. Go. Mainstream culture never has this conversation about the word guys, period, right? Like, people, hey, guys, what's up, guys? Hey, guys. And I mean, it's still something that I do, but I've been trying to break myself of doing for years. And, like, we, as a as a mainstream culture, have adopted the idea that guys is a gender-neutral term. And so using the girls, to me, one, it's, like, it's fun. But, two... It is something that I feel like is a way to kind of counter that as well. And I think that there could absolutely be some kind of non-binary language that we could use. But I think that the girls is something that has kind of been reclaimed by queer communities, especially like queer men who have had like all kinds of like sissy punk, you know, derogatory pejorative language thrown on them to kind of... Uh, foist onto them labels of femininity and in a way that is uh, pejorative and like really kind of embracing that and being like oh honey I'm one of the girls like I know what's up you know what I mean and I and I think that there is some validity to what you're saying in this email Bernie but overall like to me and to many the girls is completely gender neutral because we could be talking about anyone in the same way that we can be talking about anybody when we say, hey, guys. Um, I think I understand what Bernie is saying. Um, but to answer the question of, of what do I mean when I say the girls, it depends on the context. Exactly. I say the girls, but I say, because I think Bernie is saying that, like, the the bulk of the people that we would consider, might consider to fall under the girls would be people whose either gender identity or gender presentation hue perhaps closer to the world of queerness or womanhood or femininity or whatever the case may be. In some instances. I call straight people, I call straight people the girls, I call cis people the girls, I call, everybody can be the girls, it depends on the context of what I'm talking about. Um, And so it is for me legitimately gender neutral Um, and it it is my retort to 
guys because i don't think guys is gender neutral even though we use it as a society in a gender neutral way um but every time for example every time you say guys in our various meetings a part of me always just just winces because i'm like oh you know, I never see guys as gender neutral. And maybe this is, I don't know if this is the, you know, my non-binary imagination at work. I don't know if this is just, you know, some sort of pushing back against, you know, the systems that are at play. But like the girls um, is not, it's it's not used in a way that conveys anything as it relates necessarily to one's gender identity, gender presentation, ex- expression, or whatever. Um, because, you know, anybody can be the girls legitimately um, for me. Well, and I think the other piece of that, and we got to move on because um, we're really trying to hold on to time here. Um, the other piece of this is like the same way that we will talk about the word nigga. Like nigga is not only used for black people if I'm talking about black people, right? Like, Listen, niggas get on my nerve today. And I can be talking about white people. I can be talking about anybody. I can be talking about men or women. The same way that when we talk about, like, bitch, we had that whole conversation on, like, whether or not bitch is something that is exclusively feminine or and that kind of thing. So I think all of those things are very similar, and the context is always key. Now, it is time for our dishonorable mentions. These are the stories of people that caught our attention this week. They deserve either a call out for their good or for their stupid. Travel, what you got first? Um, I'm just going to highlight one thing because we already talked about um, Kevin Hart's foolishness. Um, And that is, uh, I'm going to shout out the organizers of the Brooklyn Liberation March. Um, You all might remember last summer in uh, after, you know, the shit show of that summer, there was a march held here in Brooklyn, which is where I'm at right now, um, for black trans lives. And they had, you know, I think it was somewhere 15 to 30,000 people showed up dressed in white and, and marched. Um, uh, and showed up, you know, for black trans women. They held a second march this year that I uh, happened to be here. So I attended um, this past weekend and it was it was beautiful. It was soul stirring, all that great stuff. I will note that it wasn't as many people as it was last year, which I'm, I'm looking and talking to all you allies, um, you know, you white folks that that showed up last year, but didn't show up this year. Um, but shout out to the, the work that those folks are doing over there, the organizations that they're featuring. So if you would like more information, you trying to figure out where you want to put some coins toward for um, Pride Month, check out brooklynliberation.com. You can see the organizations that they were spotlighting um, with that effort. I am just going to shout out to folks that I've recently followed on Instagram and have been enjoying um, seeing. Uh, The first one, I don't know what her name is because she doesn't have her name written there. Her account is what I'm uh, believing the reading is so Gia one S O O G I A the number one. Um, she is uh, an Asian woman who is like a progressive. She's a mom. She's like she's just not with any of the shits. And I thoroughly enjoy her. I've been following her and sharing some of her stuff in uh, in my in my Insta story. Um, she's a really fun follow. Um, I also just started following. Um, their at symbol is they think their thoughts. Um, their name is Mix Suni um, S U N I. And there's this beautiful piece that was done on them uh, that was done by an organization, I should say, um, that was that is called Style IQ. It's spelled kind of weird. We'll make sure that the link is in there. Um, but they do a, 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 a 
pretty lengthy, it's like 13 or 14 minutes um, of an IGTV video where um, Mick Suni is talking about their expression um, of their, their their experience of their body. Um, it's just a really, really beautiful piece. And so you should go check it out. Um, we'll have the link to that in the episode description. And last but not least, y'all know what time it is. Black history is happening every day today i wanted to honor the one and only mr pancake 31 himself mr tutti fruity richard wayne Pinneman, aka little richard this man you know <laughs> known as the innovator the originator the architect of rock and roll we have so much to thank him for when it comes to today's current landscape of music in a broad sense as well specifically in the sense of like lgbtq folks and otherwise gender expansive folks who are doing what they're doing music wise um here's a quick clip from an interview between him and Joan Rivers back in the day. You were the first performer, I think, ever to come out and say, I am a homosexual. Yes, and everybody got mad with me for saying that. You know, I, I, I didn't mind telling the world that I was gay. I was gay. And uh, uh, it's nice to be happy. It sure is. I was happy, and I wanted the world to know that I was happy. And I wasn't ashamed. I had been that way all my life, and I didn't know nothing else but that. And so I told everybody that I am gay. I am the originator. I, I think I was the first one of them, too. <laughs> and, and I found out later, Joan, that, that uh, God made Adam to be with Eve, not Steve, so I had to cut back. <laughs> oh, woo! Now, we can talk about, you know, the Bible-based homophobia that got him to, you know, renounce his sexuality and stuff later, okay? But, you know, he deserves his flowers nonetheless. I also love the Little Richard moment from the Grammys. I think Danielle brought it up. Uh, Danielle Smith, I'm trying to remember the episode that we had Danielle on for, um, I think it was, it was like award show. Yeah. Uh, we have a really great uh, moment in there from Richard, Little Richard as well. Um, okay, before we go, want to let everybody know about where you can find us. Travel has a brand new podcast that is a limited series through the month of June called Untold Stories with Entertainment Weekly. You want to tell people about the new episode? Yes, it's called Untold Stories Beyond the Binary. Episode 3 is out now as you're listening to this. Um, there's also a video component series. Um, so if you want to hop on over to Entertainment Weekly's uh, YouTube page, you can check those out. And then I've been posting some of the videos on my Instagram as well, if you want to check that out, at Rayjean, R-A-Y-Z-H-O-N. Yes, and I also want to remind folks about a couple of places. Uh, number one, I forgot to mention that I was going to be on MSNBC uh, last Saturday morning. So I was on the Cross Connection um, with Tiffany Cross, guest hosted by Jason Johnson, um, who you also know from MSNBC. Uh, I was on with him and Clay Kane, who hosts a great show over on SiriusXM. And we were talking about queer representation, um, Black queer representation specifically in media. So that link is on YouTube, and I'll make sure that we get that into the episode description. Um, I also want to let you all know that on the day that this comes out on Thursday evening, I will be hosting the Stonewall Community Foundation's Vision Awards virtually online. You can check it out. Um, it starts at 7 p.m. Eastern time, 4 p.m. Pacific. Um, it's my fifth year hosting and Stonewall Community Foundation is really, really near and dear to my heart. You guys re might remember that Jarrett Lucas uh, was one of our guests on the show last year and he'll probably be on an upcoming show as well. 
the Vision Awards honor um, a range of folks that uh, are queer, trans, and allies of the community. Um, and also the Stonewall Community Foundation funds over 175 different causes across the country um, that you know, range from micro grants of $50 to folks that are in need to $150,000. So um, it's a very, very important cost to my heart. If you guys want more information on that, you can go to stonewallfoundation.org. You can check out my Instagram. Um, I'll have links to be able to join us there where it's a huge fundraiser for us this year. We are honoring really uh, fantastic folks. We have Andrew Day, Andy Mara, Coleman Domingo, and Dan Levy, who y'all will know, and also Plant Queen from uh, Instagram, if for any of you that are into plants. Um, we'll have a special appearance from Brandon Flynn, which was really exciting. Um, so we've got a lot of really great things going on. And just added was Victor Jackson, who is one of my favorite uh, artists. He's a queer black man that's fantastic. So make sure to check out the Vision Awards Thursday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 o'clock Pacific. If this conversation piqued your interest and you want more of this, good, good. You can check out other episodes that have related to this conversation. Um, great choice here. Episode 61 is This Is My Sorry for 2004 about apologies um, and what makes them good, what makes them stupid. And, uh, yeah, check that out. We want to thank you all for listening and ask that if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating and a review. Let us know what you love or hate about the show. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, you can tweet or Instagram us using our handle at Fanti Podcast. Make sure to use the hashtag Fanti Fam and we'll jump in and see your comments. If you want to send us an email with some of that feedback, you can do that at Fanti at MaximumFun.org. Yes, and if you would like to show your support for the Leg Booty community, you can become a member of the Maximum Fun family at MaximumFun.org slash join. Okay, our music is brought to you by the one and only Corice. That's C-O-R dot E-C-E, wherever you get slay-worthy audio. And our graphics are done by the wonderful folks over at Moonhouse Creative under the leadership of Ashley Wen. Our producers are Laura Swisher and... Jordan Callen. This is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported. <laughs> right. <laughs> were you canceled or were you just on I? <laughs> oh, wow.